Welcome back to the Rural Voice, the National Rural Education Association podcast series sponsored by Win Learning. Win Learning offers state partnerships and career readiness and networking. Also, they offer, and here's the kicker, they offer the longest running career advising platform started in 1996. And their integrated approach to career readiness has already helped and served 10 million learners worldwide. So we're happy to have one learning Steve Fain out of Kentucky sponsoring our podcast. Today's episode is an episode that we have been waiting for for a long time. And I have to give credit to Devin Brenner for helping the process along. And we're so excited to be talking about Teaching in Rural Places, a textbook and also book about what it's like to be in a classroom, be prepared to be a rural teacher. With us today, and let me, let me backtrack one second. I, need, I do need to introduce my co-host, Chris Silvers with us today running the board and also one of our co-hosts. And Jared Biggins calling in from parts unknown near Copper Basin, Tennessee, we think. We don't know for sure. Dr. Jared Biggum, thanks guys for being with us. <laughs> So is it Copper Hill, Copper Basin, Turtle Town? Where are you coming well, I, from? I, I'm in between Ducktown and Turtle Town. I had to stop, couldn't make it back to my computer. So I'm in uh, I'm in the gray zone of the Appalachian so people, Mountains. Yeah, so people are frantically Googling Turtle Town right now. So look it up. It's awesome. <laughs> so I'm excited to introduce our guest today. We have Dr. Amy Azano. Dr. Devin Brenner and Dr. Ann Schulte. They're, they're uh, authors of the book, Teaching in Rural Places. Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, this is Amy Azano. I am calling in also from the Appalachians and uh, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I'm from Lou Ray uh, in the Shenandoah Valley and happy to be here. Uh, glad you're here. Devin. Hey everybody, I'm Devin Brenner. I am here at Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi where we're getting ready for homecoming. And I'm a proud graduate of Addison High School in Addison, Michigan, a little community with 89 in my graduating class where I was both a student and a teacher. That's great. Anne, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I'm gonna shout out to my hometown of Yankton, South Dakota. Um, but I am now for 20 years, a professor of education and director of civic engagement at California State University, Chico in Northern rural California. And then we also, Devin, we also have uh, two other, I guess, authors on the book. You wanna just kind of briefly tell where they're from and what they're currently doing? Sure, um, the other two authors are Jane Downey and she is a Canadian native working in Montana State University and Karen Epley, who is in Pennsylvania. Hey, thank you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot the first question out to Amy, and I'm gonna ask the question: Why this book, and why is it so important? Uh, thank you. That's a great question to get us started. Um, we spent a lot of time, the five of us, thinking about that question, and we sort of came around to two points. Um, one, it was the book that we felt we needed as kids when we were growing up in our rural communities. 
And then also when we started our work as professors, as teacher educators, it was the book that we needed for our students. So if you, you know, if you Google these, these topics, teacher education, you know, uh, culturally responsive pedagogy, that sort of thing, you might see lots of books of this nature that focus on urban schooling, urban education, and we couldn't find books that really looked at rural teacher education. So we wrote this book for pre-service teachers, for in-service teachers, and for people like ourselves who, who really want to um, advocate for, for young people in rural classrooms. Hey, so that, that really triggered actually a couple questions with me. And, um, and first of all, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. And, and I uh, looked over the book and man, it's a really cool topics, definitely filling a gap that's out there in the literature. And so tell me, is this a book for a person that grew up in a rural community that's teaching in a rural community, or is this someone that maybe grew up in an urban environment and this would help them transition in teaching? in a rural community, who's the audience? Or maybe it's all the above. This is Devin and I'll take that. That uh, The answer to that is yes. Um, we wrote the book thinking about both what we called um, people who are from here and people who are, who are from away. And so if you are from a rural community but you're going and you're thinking about going back to teach there or your first year of teaching is in a rural place, we think there's information in the book that can help you uh, get started in your career, no matter uh, where you're from. And if you're from, if you're an outsider, if you're thinking about moving to a rural community to teach, you're from a suburban or an urban place, we try to help you think about both the opportunities and the challenges that you might face and to be really ready to settle in, to get to know your community, to be an excellent teacher for your students. Awesome. And that's, and, and also something that was triggered when you, um, giving your intros and I think maybe it was uh Ann that you're teaching in the school where you went to school is that right uh, Devin this is Devin I Devin. yeah after I finished my bachelor's degree I went back and I was a first year teacher in the community where I grew up so my high school teacher was my uh co-planner and colleague down the hall and um yeah, and that was a real, it was a real treat. And it was also a real role shift for me to, you know, come back as a grown up and, and be working with my former teachers as a colleague. Yes, I, I can relate to that 1 million percent because I not only went to, back to teach and be a principal in the, the elementary school and the high school where I attended, but my daddy was my principal when I was in school. So, um, and I'm a fourth generation educator in that community. So we're kind of like the education mafia in Southeast Tennessee. <laughs> and, but that, <laughs> you're right. There's an awkwardness <laughs> to that. But it's also, you know, kind of cool in a way. And, and how, I, I think you see that a lot in rural communities where a former students come back and, and work in those schools. Yeah. I know, you know, we, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Devin. No, you go. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, we, we take that up in the book and, and also sort of like on the flip side of that, when I came out of my very rural community, I found myself teaching in some pretty big cities and suburbs. And it was 
that stark difference for me, where I could see different opportunities that were afforded to people who, you know, lots of dual enrollment classes and AP courses and, and, and also anonymity on the weekends. Like you didn't have to worry about, you know, running into your students, like at every turn of the corner. Um, and that was really different from where I grew up. And so that was sort of my personal motivation to, to study rural education and to look at equity issues in rural places um, and how they were really different from the places that I actually taught in, in urban and suburban schools yeah let's and that's i love the answer to devin and amy uh, but Anne, i want to i'm going to bring you in i want to ask you a couple questions first what is your favorite part of this book mm. uh, my favorite part of this book is the thing that i think makes it um, so timely and important that it really looks at issues of justice and it helps complicate the ways we think about rural places. And I think um, it's really important for not just teachers right now, but really our whole country to, to really think more nuanced and more complex about place and how place shapes our identity and how it shapes the way we think about people in those places. And I think we do a really good job of sort of threading that throughout the book. And um, it's, it's maybe my favorite part about the book. So, so let's let's go a little bit deeper on place. And let's because since you grew, you grew up in South Dakota, um, and then now you're in California. You've been in California for 20 years. Talk to us a little bit about place and rural education and what you remember and what you know of in South Dakota versus California, and kind of how this book in a university in South in, in South Dakota and a university in in California this would relate in both areas. Yeah, I, I have to say I was surprised when I drew, drove from the airport in Sacramento, uh, the closest airport, to get to Chico. And I thought, wow, if these orchards were corn or beans, this would feel a lot like South Dakota. Yeah. And I meet people here, and there's a town up the road called Red Bluff that's on the Sacramento River, and I grew up on the Missouri River. And, you know, it, it feels very it resonates with me a lot. And I think people are surprised to know that lots of California is very rural and um, that in some ways those places are very similar to where I grew up. And in some places they're different because obviously we're in California, which has a different, is, is a state, has a different political climate uh, at the state levels, is much larger in population. So just like just like rural places all across the country, there's lots of similarities, and then there's lots of ways that those places are unique and different. And I, I think uh, you're you probably got the extremes with South Dakota to California a little bit, <laughs> the, the yeah. political differences, and and we won't go real deep in politics, but we might when we get <laughs> at the conference a little bit later. And, and the positive <laughs> of this, and Jared, you may not know this, but we're going to have a session on the book at the conference. Um, we're excited that this is going to be a part of our conference. So, Jared, do you want to add anything else to the conversation on um, the yeah. book, the conference, and let's yeah. move forward? Yeah. I, well, something I was thinking about on my drive right before this and thinking about the book, um, you know, you always have these updated editions of textbooks. And so now that you've gone through this experience, you've you know, I had an opportunity to talk to people about the book and gotten feedback. And, and you know, it's I, I've worked on a couple of projects and textbooks and books. And, and after the fact, I'm like, dang, now that I've 
you know, it's been out there a little while, I think is something we should have added and that'll go in the next edition. So is there anything given, you know, even the short amount of time that it, that you may have been getting feedback and, and, um, and had an opportunity to reflect on it. Is there an update for addition to, do you think, you know, given the environment, the landscape, whatever, uh, happening in the world today that you would probably put in the second edition, uh, not necessarily because it's missing something, but just because, you know, everything's always evolving. What do you think edition two might have in it that edition one doesn't? I'll just, I'll start with Devin on that. Well, we do have a file going that we call second edition. And certainly while we were making the, the final edits, we agreed that we couldn't make everything perfect. And so we knew we needed to just set some things aside. I think, um, I think the book does a nice job um, focusing on issues of diversity, but I wish it had more examples um, from Latinx, Indigenous, African American. We we really we know that um, rural spaces are not homogenous; they're not monolithic, and that they are increasingly diverse and um, we brought in a lot of really interesting examples from our experiences and from our corners of the world, but I think more examples and more stories and, and more focused attention to some of that diversity will be something we put in the second edition if we get to do one. And did you want to add? Yeah, I would say that um, as you know, I live in Chico, California, which is just 20 minutes down the hill from Paradise, California, which essentially burned down in 2018. And, and I, I, I think that there are so many things that we're experiencing in our country around natural disasters, pandemic trauma. And I, I think there's a lot more to be said about how trauma shows up in rural places, how teachers deal with the trauma their students are experiencing, and, and really how uh, communities deal with collective trauma. And that looks different in rural spaces than it does in urban contexts. And I, I just think there's a lot more to say about that that I look forward to, to writing more about. I think the the diversity piece is something that most people, unless you either grew up in the South or in a rural community in another part of the country, that and I've I've had this conversation a million times when you say rural and you you might say what's the profile of a rural student look like? They'll say, well, you know, it's a white kid that um, below the median income is family and you rarely hear people talk about students of color when you know especially you got the indigenous tribes as you mentioned and and uh and i'll take our state for example there's a, a large latino population up in northeast tennessee that people just would not associate with a rural community but they make up a good part of some of those communities so i think that's that's definitely something that I think would help uh, give better understanding to a lot of people. You talk about those students of color in rural communities. We got a dramatic pause. We do. That was a dramatic pause. So, Amy, pop in here, please. 
Oh, I, I don't know if I have anything to add about the second edition. I mean, I think that the the comments that have been made, you know, we we spent a lot of time thinking about this diversity piece um, when we approached the book initially. And um, I think that more can be done. I, I guess I would just say, you know, to, to Anne's point about, um, you know, the pandemic, uh, but also, you know, everything that has happened since 2020 with uh, Black Lives Matter and, and just this, um, you know, sort of being brought into the forefront of, of dealing with race and racism in America. And I think what's important is to, to know that rural places, you know, we are part of this, we're part of the larger conversation. And so I think as the world continues to change, you know, this book or books like this will also continue to change that it's, it's, it's mobile. It's not, rural doesn't exist like in the past, you know, it's not just a, it's not a picture. It's not a TV show. It's, you know, it's, it's places that are also dealing with all of the ins and outs of, of things that are happening, you know, nationally and globally. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask each one of you to kind of expand on this. I really appreciate the aspect of putting the policy and the rural teacher in, in the book. And I think I think that's important. Um, and I think there's a lot that is, you know, that sometimes rural educators are not involved or they they are not allowed to be involved. So let's talk about the chapter 10 and that aspect of being put in the book, because I, I think it's very important. So sure, I'll, I'll start on that because um, I was kind of lead on that chapter. Um, every single thing that we do in a classroom, it. It, it often feels like uh, we work kind of independently. You go in, you shut the door, uh, you teach, and and policy can feel like it's very far away, except that it isn't because every single, um, the, the number of desks in your classroom, the boundaries of your school district, the resources that you have available, the um, salary, the basic salary that gets set for a new teacher, all of these are decisions that have been made, sometimes at a local level, often at a state level, occasionally at a federal level. And sort of understanding that the curriculum that is in front of me, the standards I'm supposed to meet, the students that I get to work with, all of those things are decisions that people make that's what I really wanted to try to help people walk away with, because if they are decisions that people make, those decisions can get changed. And um, knowing the greater context can help you think about how do I navigate the system as it is. And also, as you grow into your role as a, as a teacher and a leader in a rural community, can help you think about how do I participate in uh, advocacy to help make good decisions for rural schools. That's great. And then you, you hit the nail on the head. And you also, you know, you look at funding, you looked at policies that are decided by most cases by people that are not educated in what's happening in rural education mm -hmm. in general. So, and I would say, since we're on a podcast, some of them may not be educated at all, but uh, <laughs> that's another story. But uh, Anne, what, what's your, what's your take on the policy piece of this book and the understanding funding and all that good stuff. Yeah, I think when I talk with uh, my students that are in rural places, uh, a lot of what we talk about is so um, um, small scale and local. And we think about what do you do in the classroom and, and who are your students and what does that mean in their community? That um, it's sort of the role of the teacher educator, I think, to remind them that these are all smaller parts of bigger issues, bigger policies, 
um, bigger guidelines that are done in, in different places that are shaping this. And I, I think sometimes they can lose sight of that when they're so focused on just what to do tomorrow in their classroom. And um, so I, I think that's really important for us to, to, to lay the context for all of those things as it relates to their specific classroom. Yeah, and, and also we're both a part of a um, kind of policy playbook in play um, this fall and going into the spring. So we're, I know you're, you and I are both excited about that as well. Uh, do you want to mention anything about the, the work there? Yeah, no, I'm really excited about that. It's and that because I'm doing that work right now, talking with teachers and they're talking about their lived experiences with youth in their communities. And then I'm I'm saying now, what does this mean for the next level? Like, how can we translate what's happening there into a recommendation for our state government or for our national government or for leaders or researchers in the field? Um, yeah, exactly right. I feel like I'm right in the middle of that right now. Yeah, it, it's really it's exciting work right now. So thank you for that as well. And then Amy, I know you have a particular interest in this policy piece, especially living in Virginia. You've got a lot of policy pieces on the table right now. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. Um, yeah, I guess a part of what I really appreciate about that, and, and like like Devin said, she took the lead on that. We really sort of lean on her as authors, um, as as sort of our our resident rural policy expert. Um, but what I what I think I really appreciate about it is that we also extend this into ways to critique and think about um, things that we take for granted in non-rural places like evidence-based research. And so part of what we do is we we sort of give guidance in the in the book about how we can evaluate. So things that come down the pike that end up in a teacher's classroom and to think more about practice-based evidence. And Alan, as you know, I do a lot of work around gifted education in rural spaces. And so when I'm talking about gifted education, I am always surprised that people know so little about the ways that any type of enrichment program gets funded. Um, and, and even with special education, when people say, well, you know, there's IDEA and there's ADA. There are all of these laws in place to make sure that we're supporting students. And I'm like, well, that's great. But in a rural, a remote rural um, school, there might not be an occupational therapist. There might not be a human resource there for that child. And so it's sort of like the application of some of this in practice. And I, that, that's kind of the nut that we're trying to crack um, in those in, in a couple different chapters in the book. Yeah, that's a great point you brought up about the gifted work that you're doing, which is amazing. Um, and the big part is you're right. I mean, people just simply don't understand. Number one, they go through acronym kind of hell, so to speak, excuse me, but uh, they don't understand all that in general. But you're right, that's um, important work. And to me, this is kind of in this uh, kind of, it's, it's really a guidebook for the rural teachers. Jared, do you have anything else? Um, you want to add a couple questions? Yeah, I had uh, one question. So um, I'm excited about your session at the conference in a couple of weeks can you give us a little bit of an overview of what the the presentation will be like is this you know just walking through the book and talking about it or what what's that session going to look like I'll, I'll start this is Devin um I just we are gonna um it's gonna be a conversation a lot like this one except for I think you know people don't want to come to a session and just hear a sales pitch they really want to come and walk away with some practical ideas and so we're going to talk about six or seven of the really big ideas um, that we think are important in the book that can help administrators and colleagues help new teachers put down roots and succeed and thrive in schools. We know teacher turnover is an issue across the country, but especially in rural places. 
So what are some things that you can do um, to help your colleagues be successful right away? And we'll, we'll be talking about those at our session. Okay, I just wanted to add that I, I, uh, I think that even though this is sort of characterized as a textbook for new teachers, um, I'm finding that administrators who've, who've been in education for 20, 30 years haven't had these conversations in quite the same way. And they're using it with, with you know, experienced teachers and in-service teachers and, and, and administrators. So I think the conversations are really much broader than just about preparing new teachers, even though I think the book sort of focuses on that um, population. But I think the conversations are just those uh, part of the, the bigger conversations for all of us. I think you hit a great point, Anne, on because because I went through the book again last night and um, just taking notes, and I was like, you know, this could be for mentor teachers, uh, but also just teachers in the field that just kind of need a refresher course on some some items in rural teaching, but what the rural community in place is about. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, Alan, I was going to add too that um, you know I've learned in a lot of my work that there's I think we have an assumption that in rural places, teachers would naturally know how to use place and place-based pedagogy or critical pedagogies of place in their practice. And I, I haven't found that to be true. I, I think sometimes that teachers see that um, it might be one more thing they have to do in addition to teaching the standards or the common core or whatever it is in their state. So, you know, I think that one, one of the things I most appreciate about the book is that we've, we've really talked about ways to incorporate place and to, um, to think about rural places in sort of this asset-based way and how you can capitalize on what, you know, students are bringing to the classroom and the knowledge that they have, those funds of knowledge that they're bringing. So I do hope that we spend a little bit of time, um, as Devin said, you know, really given some practical takeaways because a lot of people are like myself, like, I grew up in a rural area, but I didn't learn about where I was from. I mean, I was where I was from and it was a huge part of my life, but it was like when I got to school, that no longer had a place in my instruction. And so I think that that's something that we can sort of um, help teachers rethink uh, whether they're new or already in the classroom. That's a great point as well. Awesome. Yep. Jared, you, here's the key moment of the whole podcast. And we want each of our guests to answer this question. So Jared, hit them with the best question I'll do it. all right Devin I'll start with you you're each going to get the same question so unfortunately you won't have as much thinking time Devin but we always end our podcast with the Harry Potter question put yourself in the shoes of Harry Potter for a day you're going to get to wave your wand to do one thing in the education landscape only one can't wave it for more wand waves so if you could do one wave of the wand, Devin, what would you do to impact education across the United States? I think where I would start with, I would change how schools are funded. Right now, the, a great deal of our school funding is based on the value of property taxes, and that really disadvantages poor and minority kids in rural places as well as urban places. And so I would really reconfigure our funding stream. Awesome. That's good. We've never had that one before. That, I like it. No, like when we get new answers. Yeah, and I will say this. There's a. This is for our listeners. I think, and Devin, you can say, no, Alan, you're wrong. That's okay. I'm good with that. But I think some of that answer comes I say out it all of the, time. Uh, little piece. 
I know it's good, but um, some of that comes out of the piece, maybe from the New York Times Magazine uh, piece that was talking about tragedy in rural schools. Am I right, Devin? Sure, that that piece that really um, brings to life this issue, uh, showing the you know colossal failure of state and federal policy to to bring about reform in um, Holmes County, Mississippi. And, and what it means when we base our school funding on the low value of property taxes. But it's an issue I've been thinking about for a really long time. Yeah, and but but it's it's uh, we're making that connection for our listeners. I think that's great. And, sure. I think, and that, this is one, another one that we've received, Jared, that can be fixed. This is not like pie in the sky. Yeah. This is one that can yeah. be fixed quickly. So that's a good one, Devin. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Jared, next, your next victim. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Ann, Ann, same question. You're going to wave the wand. What are you going to change, Ann? Well, I, I am fortunate to uh, be in a position um, as the director of civic engagement on my campus, which means I work a lot at trying to build our understanding of rural places in more nuanced, more complex ways and think about how as a university we embrace um, rurality and those places and the people in them and also work alongside them and see all the, the amazing innovation that is happening in a lot of our region. And I would want us to, as universities, develop stronger and reciprocal relationships with our regions, um, our rural regions in a way that um, um, elevates, amplifies youth voice and agency in those communities. That's great. You know, that's another one that, yep. you know, we could do something about that. Sometimes we get answers like, you know, a an awesome teacher in every single classroom across the country, which, you know, ideally that would be good. But but that that's not something that's going to happen overnight. And some the things you guys are talking about from a, a policy and programmatic sense could be done relatively quickly if the um, the institutional will was there. So, all right, our final Harry, what do you say? What do you, what's going to be the wave of your wand? <laughs> um, well, I think I would cast sort of like a, a rural Patronus. Um, you know, I think if we could wave it over everybody <laughs> who's not hey, we in, got, a, hey, in our we got, we got a real Harry Potter fan here. She's just oh, yeah. Oh, both yeah. the Patronus. Yeah. That's so right. This is my favorite She gets question. an award. Yeah, she gets a major <laughs> award for that. <laughs> you know, if, if you know what that is, then you know what, what I'm getting at, that it would be it waved over everyone so that, you know, when you think about rural places and rural people and rural communities, that you think of the brilliance and the gifts and the vibrancy and the potential, the diversity, like all of these things that I think, you know, even in that New York Times article, like not that that wasn't, you know, ha had a lot of worth and brought a lot of things to attention, but not every rural place is, is in despair and, and full of, you know, um, I don't know, just like the, the need, the desire to leave it and all of these other things. There are a lot of us who, who are from rural places. We love being from rural places and we have just as many challenges as problems and as everywhere else. But, um, but I think that would be it that you, that you see us for who we are. I'm going to say that Jared, That's awesome. this, this might be the three best we've ever received. And <laughs> we've been doing this for almost, almost two years. And that's the best three, which <laughs> which means I'm going to throw this out there, Jared. You have to fight by the first round in in uh, Indianapolis because they the, they won. <laughs> you got it. Ice water's on me. Water's all around. <laughs> yes. Hey, so here, here here's here's the best part, and, and I want to make if you're a if you're a university, uh, you're a faculty member, 
you're a school in general that want to help your rural teachers. Why haven't you ordered this book already? So we laid it out today in this episode. Here, this, everything you need to know is in this book. So here's the, here's the key. And Chris, I'm going to bring you in on this one. Chris is going to put all the contact information on our podcast for ordering the book and also contact information for our guests today. And we want to make sure this is out in rural communities. This is out at rural universities and universities in general across our country. And we want to spike and, and see a large uh, orders coming in for this in our podcast. And I'm going to tell you, Jerry, it will happen, correct? Oh, yeah, man, of course. And will copies be available at the conference? I bet we can arrange that. I would. I mean, you're going to I'd love you're going to, to see have it. on-demand buys. Yeah. So yeah. I will say this. For, for my end of it, after you listen to this podcast, the first person that emails you, Ann, Amy, and Devin, about this book, I will send them a copy myself. I will pay for it and send them a copy. Oh, exciting. So you're on there. So I need the first person that emails you about it. We'll send them a copy of the book as well. We'll pay for it. So y'all get the credit. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, I want to make, sure, hey. make sure Amy has a great Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm doing the book sale there. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm, well, I'm go texting ahead, my son now to, to, I'm texting my son now to email. There you go. There you go. Get it done. Um, yeah. Uh, a little sidebar here. Devin's been redoing her home, and it's been amazing uh, to watch the journey on Facebook. So, you know, I told you we'd go off on a tangent or go somewhere in a different location. So, Devin, before we go, what's the construction day and what's the update? Give it to us before. We are on day 488 of construction, um, and I'm hoping wow. to be done by Christmas. So, Christmas is wow, I think the house. ark was built. The ark was built in like just it's been a little, days, you know. If I didn't have this like actual job that I need to pay for the construction, it'd go a lot quicker. <laughs> I, I love it. I love well, it. Well, thank y'all for joining us. Can't wait for the session uh, at the conference and and get to hang out with you guys and tune in next time. I guess our next podcast will be the week of the conference, won't it, uh, Chris and Alan? Yes, we'll be live. Not live, but we'll be recording in Indianapolis. So <laughs> we can say live. People lie all the time. So yeah, we will live. be alive while we're recording. Yeah, we'll be <laughs> live at the recording in Indianapolis at JW Marriott, November 10th, 11th, and 12th. We're excited. Looking forward to it. See you there. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you. Tune in next time. Come in semi-live from Indianapolis the NREA podcast. Thanks for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jerry Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, 
process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.